In 51 AD, God used only one ship with a small band of missionaries to invade Europe for the first time with the gospel. The enslavement and death they were attacking was even more deceptive than the Nazi propaganda and the message they brought delivers from a peril worse than the gas chambers. Turn to Acts chapter 16 verses 6 through 15 with our study leader Dave Wurtson and let's discover how the Spirit of God invaded Macedonia and Greece with the gospel. It was May 1940. The panzer divisions of the German army, using a new blitzkrieg technique, blasted right through the Ardennes in Belgium. A British army was caught. The French army was caught. They pushed towards the English Channel, and at Dunkirk, thousands and thousands of British small vessels, fishing vessels, had to come across the English Channel because... If they didn't, the Germans would have been able just to walk right into England. It would have been the end of the free world. A month later, in early June, the German panzer units in the south broke around, did an end run around what was supposed to be the impregnable Maginal Line. And they swept around to the south, and in less than two weeks, the German army was coming right down the Arts de Triomphe in Paris. And France had fallen under the grip of the German dictatorship, fascism, Nazism, just dominating Europe. We go to the east about a year later in June. The Wehrmacht launched the most powerful military invasion that had ever been launched before. Four million soldiers all working in concert, started sweeping towards Moscow. Right at that time, the SS was already beginning to gas people at Auschwitz, Birkenau, Belzec, Buchenwald, Dachau, Treblinka, combined with more than 20 other factories where they would gas millions of Jews and then they would cremate them and they called it the final solution. You talk about a dark time. Like, if you think that things are dark now, the whole European continent was under the power of a psychopathic, deceptive murder. And Hitler was winning every turn that he made. And as those troops started sweeping towards Moscow, it looked like there was no hope. The only hope there was was across that English Channel And the United States had finally joined with the British. And on June 6, 1944, Eisenhower gave the order. 24,500 paratroopers got in the airplanes. They flew across that little stretch of water. And they dropped those paratroopers behind the German lines. Many of them jumped far too low. They They sprained their ankles. And some of them broke their legs because of the incredible fire that they got when they broke out of the clouds, and it looked like everything was going to be a disaster. But using ingenuity, those airborne divisions that you've all learned about in in a band of men, they joined together, they found one another, and they were able to take out some of the key German defenses that made it possible for Eisenhower to spend 5,000 ships. Can you imagine 5,000 ships? You got a little feel of that when you watch Private Ryan, 5,000 ships 
started to move across the English Channel. In the first wave, 160,000 British, Australian, Canadian, American forces hit those beaches. Texas troops were very much in the lead at Omaha Beach. So it's part of our history. It looked like the world was going to have freedom destroyed. It was a dark time, but D-Day and the invasion of Normandy marked the end of the whole Nazi empire. What I want to talk to you about today, like you've all heard that, and, and Steven Spielberg spins movies about that. You've all been captivated by that. If you don't like history, then you just need to study a little bit about D-Day because it's an incredible story. You need to watch Winds of War. You need to watch War and Remembrance. And you need to capture what it really means to be able to fight for freedom. But I want you to know that there's a far greater evil, there's a far greater darkness that you're facing and that controls some of your friends at work, that controls some of your classmates at school. There's a darkness that has the grip upon this world, and it's even worse than what was happening at Auschwitz and Buchenwald. All Auschwitz and Buchenwald could do was take away someone's physical life. All Hitler could do was capture people and spellbind them with his lies and his rhetoric. But all he could do was take people's physical lives, as horrible as that is. But we've got a dark, psychopathic, chaotic, crazy adversary. And in 51 AD, he had a grip on Europe. When you moved into Macedonia, which is where Alexander the Great's father had ruled and where he established cities. In fact, one of the cities' name was Philippi, and it had grown to become a big city, and then it was destroyed, and it was the place where the battles that took place between Mark Antony and Brutus and Cassius and all that history. And then Augustus Caesar rejuvenated the city, and Philippi became a very powerful first-century city, proud because Roman soldiers that Augustus needed to get repatriated and get out of the military, just like the United States is wrestling now with, how do you get veterans back into the public marketplace? The way that the Roman emperors did is they gave their soldiers land in a place like Macedonia, and they established a colony like Philippi. And so if you lived in Philippi, you could be a full-fledged Roman, and it was just like living in Rome, Italy. And they were proud of that. There was pagan temples to, to Venus, the goddess of sex and the goddess of war. And there were yearly annual festivals that celebrated the worship of the Roman emperor. There was not a church in the whole city because believers like you had never even crossed into Macedonia. They never stepped foot in Europe, except maybe for a few that might have come from that crowd that gathered in Pentecost and went back to Rome and began sharing the gospel. And that'll be a story we'll have to wait till we get to heaven. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 today because Eisenhower sent over 5,000 ships when he invaded Europe at D-Day. The Lord God of heaven sent only one ship. He sent Paul. He sent Silas. We learned last time we were together about how Paul chose a young mentoree, a young protege, so Timothy... This young guy is with them. They're in one boat, and they go across. As we open up our text today, we have the invasion of Europe. I'm going to call it G-Day. 
Gospel Day. Not D-Day, but we're going to call it Gospel Day. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companion, everybody have it? Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companion traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. That's kind of in central modern-day Turkey. And um, it's the area where the Apostle Paul went on his first missionary journey. It's where we were studying the last time we were together. Timothy is from that area. He's from Lystra. Derby is one of the cities in that area. So Dr. Luke is taking us kind of from central Turkey. And they start to move, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, the province of Asia that he's talking about here is the area all around eastern Turkey. The city of Ephesus was right on the coast. It was the largest city of Asia. But the Holy Spirit hindered Paul. So I want you to be thinking about that. He doesn't let the Apostle Paul at this time spend time in Ephesus and in Asia. The Holy Spirit restrains him and keeps him from teaching the gospel in Asia at the time. When they came to the border of Mystia, that's a little bit farther north, And they tried to enter Bithynia, which is the area that's right on the northern part of Turkey. It's by the Black Sea. And the Apostle Peter later on is going to write to that area. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, hinders Paul from going there. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas, which is right on the the coast of modern-day Turkey. Across the water, you'll be entering Macedonia. So what's going to happen? Based upon this text, I want to talk to you about the hindering ministry of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever heard of the hindering ministry of the Holy Spirit? You know, there's some of you, you've tried this, you've tried this. You've tried to do this in the church. You've tried to do this in reaching your community, and it just falls through. Anybody ever face that? How many of you have ever tried to do something for Jesus, and it got blocked? Anybody? Come on. How do you respond to that? You know what some of you have done? Some of you have gotten upset. You feel insecure. You feel like, I guess the Lord isn't going to use me. I guess the Lord is angry with me. I guess, you know, there must be something really wrong inside my life. The hindering ministry of the Holy Spirit, we almost automatically take to be God is rejecting us or something's wrong. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines because the Lord has hindered you. You really wanted to present the gospel, and you tried to do it, but you got shut down. Some of your friends shut you down. Some of the opportunities that you tried to walk through. How many of you have ever tried to walk through what you thought was an open door, and it got slammed right in your face? That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. As we walk with the Lord, the Apostle Paul and his band of gospelers, this band of evangelists, they desperately want to reach out to others. They try to bring the gospel into Galatia and Phrygia. And the Lord says, no, I don't want you to do that right now. They try to take the gospel up to the north in Bithynia. The Lord says, no, I don't want you to do that right now. Then they land at Troas and the Lord says, I want you to wait right here. Because I'm going to talk to you. One of the things I want you to learn is that, the, that sometimes when the Lord hinders you and he slams a door in your face, it's really important for you to keep moving, for you to stay engaged, for you to keep trying. That's the very first thing that Dr. Luke wants us to learn. The great apostle Paul, 
as he was walking with the Lord. And this, this means that today that we're walking close to the Holy Spirit. You say, Dave, how do I know when the Holy Spirit is hindering me and doesn't want me to do something? Well, sometimes it's a, it's a trouble in your spirit. You just don't have confidence about it. As you begin to pray about it and think about it, you don't have a, a, a quiet certainty that you should do that. And that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You need to be sure that you're in the Word. You can't just rely upon those feelings. You can't just rely upon those inner promptings if you're not doing what we're doing right now because you can have inner promptings that just come from your own thinking. You can have inner promptings that come from the evil one that's seeking to tempt you. But you can also have inner promptings. The book of Acts is teaching us from the Holy Spirit. And if you're in fellowship with other believers and you're studying his word, one of the things you want to do is you want to become razor sharp in listening to the voice of the Spirit. What I want to share with you is some of the most confusing times for me in my life is when I was absolutely certain and my friends were certain after praying about it that the Lord really wanted me to do something. You ever face something like that? Man, everyone, this is a great idea. That's an awesome thing. What a great opportunity. You need to do that. And wham, the door gets slammed in your face. Anybody ever had that? Yeah. Those are the most discouraging times for me. And my temptation is to feel like, well, I guess the Lord isn't going to use me anymore. I guess I must have sinned or I must have done something wrong. But now in, in walking with the Lord a little bit longer... I thank the Lord this morning for shut doors. And I thank the Lord this morning for shut windows. How about you? Because as Mary and I look back upon our lives, we thank the Lord almost every day that we didn't walk through certain doors, that we were hindered by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that when we were hindered, we were frustrated and wondering, what in the world is the Lord doing? So the very first thing I want you to learn this morning is the Holy Spirit inside of you, sometimes the wind blows and the doors come wide open and you won't just believe what the Lord is doing. There's going to be other times when you're hindered. Don't get angry with the Lord because you're hindered. A lot of believers that I'm working with now, as soon as the Lord doesn't do what they want him to do, then they're gone. Did you hear what I just said? A lot of believers in the American church, as soon as the Lord doesn't do what the Lord wants them to do, like if they were planning on going to the mission field, if they were planning on meeting a gorgeous girl or a marvelous, handsome, godly man, if they were going to have all the needs met to be able to accomplish that mission, as soon as the Lord doesn't give them that beautiful girl and that godly girl, as soon as the Lord doesn't lead them to that right mate, as soon as the Lord doesn't open up that mission field, they're done. Forget this Jesus thing. You need to really pray about that. I've got a lot of young friends. They're not going out for God anymore because as soon as God didn't do what fit their plan, what they thought they had all lined out, as soon as the Holy Spirit hindered them, they were gone, which meant that they were idolaters. Because I don't decide what the plan is. I don't decide when gospel day comes to invade and where I go. I don't decide what the next ministry is, and neither do you. We need to be walking with the Spirit. We need to keep moving. The Apostle Paul is moving, and I want to ask you, are you sitting? 
or you're still moving. If the Lord shuts one door to you, try another. I just want to share with you, even in a business way, if you're looking for a job in this really down economy, you got to move. Just from a physical economic standpoint, the book of Ecclesiastes says you need to give a portion to one, to seven, to eight. How do you know the whole thing might succeed? How many of you in business this week have faced closed doors? You're not going to make it as a business person if you quit because you get closed doors. The same principle works in economics. When I was selling books and, and, and I would have 50 doors slammed in my face on almost any given day, if you stop... If you sit in your car, if you stop making your presentation, guess what? You don't eat that night. Because all I need to do is find one grandfather that will buy seven of my books, and I got it for a week. But you'll never find that one open door if the closed doors and the hindering and the obstacles, you get discouraged by that, and you start sitting the same thing happens in a church, it happens in a family, and it happens in business. And the Apostle Paul is modeling for us. As the Holy Spirit hinders him, he keeps on moving. I want you to see another thing about the person of the Holy Spirit. Notice it says in one of our verses that the Holy Spirit hindered him. He was kept by the Holy Spirit. And then the very next verse, it says he was kept by the Spirit of Jesus. They're the same that's in the flow of the story, but it teaches you what you need to learn about the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is distinct from God the Son. He's distinct from God the Father. And we can call him the Holy Spirit, and he lives in your heart. But when Jesus said when he ascended to heaven and he wouldn't leave you alone, he meant it. He says, I will come to you because when it's Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, when we say the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit came upon the early group of believers, and now he's coming upon the Cornelius that come to Christ. He's going to come upon those that we talk about later in this passage that come to Christ. The Holy Spirit that comes to live in you is the Spirit of Jesus because they're a oneness. If you have the third person of the Trinity living in your heart, then there's a unity in your heart. The spirit of Jesus in your heart. And some of you are saying, well, Dave, I just don't have a spirit for this. I just don't think I can, I can love the way I need to love. I don't think I can have a passion for unbelievers the way that I should. I don't think I can handle the hindrances. I don't think I can keep going. When you come to the place that you feel I can't keep going, this church can't do it, we can't do it in our business, we can't do it in our family, we can't hold things together. Anybody ever feel that way? Then you're in a good place. Because you'll finally get flat on your face and you'll say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And you let the wind, you let the spirit of Jesus move. And that's what, the, that's what the apostle Paul was teaching us. And Dr. Luke recorded it so that we could have it down through the centuries. So the very first thing I want you to think about is how have you responded to the hindering ministry of the Holy Spirit? And I just really want to share with you that in my own life, it's as you keep going, the wind of the Spirit, I'll never figure out. I could never guess what the Holy Spirit, when he opens doors and when he really changes lives and when he doesn't. But I've learned you've got to keep on going. And, I, and to be honest with you, I've never been able to plan it out or to think it out or to know several months in advance what happens. It's, and you've got to understand this. This is what the book of Acts says. 
The Church of Antioch sent these guys out. They're now on the west coast of what's now modern-day Turkey, and they're saying, what do we do? They don't just have, well, we need to figure out what the felt needs are in Asia. We need to figure out what unbelievers are looking for. That's not what they do. They get flat on their face, and they're praying, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, guide us. And then the Lord gave them a vision. One of the big things that's crying out in this church family is we need a vision. I'm going to share with you how you have a vision. The Apostle Paul got a vision. Number one, he was totally engaged in trying to reach unbelievers for Jesus. So I want to share with you, you don't need a vision. None of you in this room need any special voices from God to tell you that you need to start reaching people for Jesus. None of us do. We need to be crying out this morning, Lord, equip us, guide us, give us connection. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. As you live for Jesus and as you're walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit sometimes gives supernatural vision at night. That's what happened in this text. Look what happened. It says, Paul is blocked. He's sitting at Troas. doesn't know what to do. It says, during the night, look at verse 9. Now we have the vision which gives him the call of where he goes next. He says, during the night, Paul had a vision. He had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing. And he's begging, he's pleading, he's exhorting, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we all got ready at once and, they, and to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the gospel to them. So you say, Dave, how do you know? How do you know what the Lord wants you to do? Well, sometimes the Holy Spirit, when you're walking close to him, gives somebody in your midst a real vision. Now, you need to make sure. Now, is this vision outside what Jesus said? Go and make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and on to the uttermost parts of the world. How many would say that the vision that the Apostle Paul had is contradictory to the book of Acts? No, it's totally lined up with the book of Acts. But the Holy Spirit is giving a specific guidance. I really want you to do this. Sometime in your life... And the Holy Spirit can do this through, a, this is a powerful, mystical, ecstatic, spiritual experience. If you're from a charismatic background, this is normal for you. When I speak in the developing world and I talk like this, you'll have 20 pastors who'll stand up, oh yeah, I've had one of those. In the United States, that, that's not so much what, especially in the Bible church, where it's kind of scared to death of that. It's very important that your visions are lined up with the scripture. But I want you to learn how you think about visions. In the book of Acts, we had the Apostle Paul, when he was blinded on the Damascus Road, he saw a vision of the exalted Christ. Remember that? That was a real invasion from the supernatural world to his world. Then he goes to Damascus, and he receives a vision while he's blinded that a man will come and give him sight. Ananias has a vision where the Lord tells Ananias, you need to go and talk to this big persecutor that came here to murder Christians because I'm going to use him to reach Gentiles all over the world. You talk about a crazy vision. And Ananias says, no, no. The Lord says, oh, yes, yes. So Ananias goes and gets Paul and starts to train Paul. Those are the way the visions work. Remember, we've already had visions. Remember Cornelius, the Roman centurion, no Gentiles have come to know Jesus yet, so far in the book of Acts. But Cornelius is a God-fearer. He's responding to what God is teaching him. He's building the synagogue in Caesarea. He's joining with the Jews. He knows that God spoke through the Jewish Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. God gives him a vision. There's a man. 
And you need to go and send for him. He's over in Joppa. Send some of your servants. He's there. So Cornelius sends some of his servants and one of his trusted aides over to Joppa, which is just a few miles down the Mediterranean coast. The apostle Peter, who doesn't eat with Gentiles, remember we had the vision of the food. Remember that? When you read about visions and you have friends tell you about visions, you don't need to be uptight about that, but you also need to have biblical discernment about it. All of those visions that I share with you are totally lined up with what the scripture teaches. They give special guidance. And sometimes the Lord gives us those special visions. 99% of the times, you just need to keep walking through the doors. You need to get on ships. You need to get in airplanes. You need to go walk across the street to your neighbor. We're going to find that in just a minute. But I also want us to know as a Bible church, we need to be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit didn't turn silent 2,000 years ago. He wants to speak to your heart. What's the vision of your life? Be in his word. Be in prayer. The Holy Spirit opens up great visions. He opened up great opportunities. We had one of the best Easter's we've ever had here. You think, Dave, how did that happen? Well, Martin Hawkins was my friend, born in New Jersey, so we naturally connect. I start to get to know Dr. Hawkins. He says, hey, I got a bunch of students that needed someone to teach in the Old Testament. Would you do it? So I started doing it. Demetrius was teaching there as well, so we start to be good friends. Not just, you know, oh, we got to venture into another racial group. You're not going to ever make it that way. You can't do that. If you're thinking about that, you're already missing it. It's my brother. It really is my brother incredibly gifted. I hear him play the piano and sing, and I say, man, that would be awesome. And then the Lord opens that door. You see, as I was obeying, I'm using my gift. Like, I want you to know it's not hard for me to do what I'm doing this morning. I want to challenge all of you. It would be really hard for me to do this, to make this. Now, I could do it because the Lord's given me some weirdo gifts. Like, I can build, and those of you that are in construction, no, if we work hard enough with Dave, he will get it done. I was the same way in chemistry. I loved studying the books. I hated doing the lab, but I could do the labs. But you know what? It takes me way too long to do it. Like this stage would not be here if I was doing it. But I can teach easily. One of the things you need to learn to do is the things that you do easily, that you want to do, as you're walking with the Lord, that's what the Lord wants you to use. I want you to stop doing things that are agony for you. If you're lousy at planning things, you're lousy at planning menus, if you're lousy at setting activities up, you're not an administrator. Stop doing it and let all the administrators in our church do it. That's what I want to unleash. We've been blocking giftedness. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit is going to unleash the giftedness. Someone had to sail Paul across the channel. Someone had to take care of that boat. Someone had to direct Paul about how to go from one city to the next. And that led them to the conversion of Lydia. Look at the next section. So we go from the hindrance of the Spirit to the Macedonian call. And I want you to know that there's people this week, you don't believe it, but there's people this week that are just like the Macedonians. They're crying, come and help us. Please come and help us. This week, you have an incredible opportunity because there's people that really need your help. 
So the Apostle Paul, in the next section here, it says, from Troas we put out to sea, this is verse 11, and they sailed straight for Samothrace. That meant that there was a good sailor, because you don't sail straight anywhere if someone doesn't know what they're doing. Right, Ken? So someone that was gifted, some of you are gifted in transportation. Some of you are gifted in helping us to get from point A to point B. Here you are. When D-Day took place in World War II in June, thousands and thousands of really skilled planners made that possible. Someone had the vision. We've got to go across that channel and made the decision. But somebody had to sail those ships. Here it is. They arrive at Neapolis. That's the port city close to Philippi. Then from there they travel to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. That's the thing I want you to know. As you enter a new area, if it's a new city, if it's a new town, if it's a new job, you need to stay there several days. When you're breaking into new areas and you wonder what the Lord is doing and you're looking for his leading, hang out. Paul went into Philippi and he just starts hanging out. One of the things I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will help some of you to learn how to just hang out with your unbelieving friends. A lot of you are in key jobs. I've got university professors. I've got people working in the medical profession. I've got many of you working in the schools. I've got many of you working in construction. I can go on and on. The cement plants, everything. Right here in this room, there's all these incredible connections. The Holy Spirit wants you to learn from this text that you're not the Apostle Paul, a full-time foreign missionary, but you have the same mandate that he had. You need to hang out. The Apostle Paul just began to hang out in Philippi. You say, well, Dave, what's important about that? You need to find out where people gather. See, what you're looking for in every culture, there's a group of people that are interested. One of the burdens that I had, I was really burdened because, hey, I'm getting older. I'm not sure. How do I connect with teenagers? How do I connect with college students? So I'm at Rotary one day, and the head of the whole Navarro here in Middle says, hey, I really need a teacher. Could you do that? The Holy Spirit said, hey, I've been hindered. I've had conversations with young guys saying, hey, you don't connect with me anymore. That happens when you get old. My sons tell me that sometimes. It was like a closed door, like maybe I'm not really connecting anymore. But most of all, I felt like I don't want to connect with a bunch of evangelical kids that were raised in our church or a million other churches, and they're trying to invent a church for themselves. That's what a lot of secret churches are. We've got to connect with real, honest-to-goodness unbelievers. So I felt, man, if I go into a college classroom as a professor, I got real unbelievers there. Now, it turned out that not all of them were unbelievers. A lot of them are just our kids. You know what they let me do? I listened for the last two weeks. I've heard college students tell me what they liked about their upraising in whatever church it was and what they didn't. I found out what turned them off. I learned about a Mexican girl that was 10 years old in the middle of the night several years ago fled across the border because they were hungry and they desperately needed it. And she talked about how President Reagan made amnesty possible. And she shared about what that's meant in her family. As long as you sit in your coffee shop and you don't talk to real Janie that's now a prosperous, skilled American that is citizen and everything. And she shared me how Jesus protected her and how he guided her. Those are the connections I'm talking about. Or one of my other students that got fired right in the middle of the semester. And he suddenly comes to me and says, Dave, I know I haven't showed up for half my classes, but I feel I really need to do that. And he doesn't know Jesus. 
But he got to hear a bunch of believing students that were in the marketplace that as they gave their papers, they explained what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. And this unbelieving student that started out as a dropout, really, I'm still not sure he'll make it this semester. But boy, did he make some strides. Those are the connections. All of us have those kind of connections. Those are the open doors. Those are the of wandering around the town. Those of you that have restaurants, I mean, you've got these incredible connections with people. And I want to equip you. I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. Those are the connections that we need to take advantage of. And that doesn't take away from our churches. It builds our churches. We need to be an open community. One of the biggest things about churches is that they're closed. They're not connected with unbelieving people. And oh, I want to pray that the Lord help us to be like Paul, that we wander through pagan cities. Now, what happened when you wander through pagan cities? You realize there's a women's prayer meeting down by the river. So you go there, down by the riverside. And at the riverside, there's a very powerful woman named Lydia who makes a ton of money. How many of you ladies are working a job? How many of you sometimes feel guilty for your work and your job? You wonder if you're really doing the godly thing. Because you've been raised in churches that say, well, women should never really make a lot of money. Women shouldn't be powerful business people. Where did you get that from? Did you know that the very first born-again believer in Europe, which is what most of us are a part of, was Lydia? And she had beautiful clothes because she sold the most beautiful material in all the ancient world, the purple of Thyatira. But God was working in this powerful businesswoman's heart, bringing her in a city that probably didn't have a synagogue to pray. And she sat down the river one Sabbath day, and guess who showed up? Paul and Luke and young Timothy and Silas. And she started hearing Christ died for your sins. He's the Messiah that the Jewish scriptures talked about. Christ rose again from the dead. Christ can totally forgive you for all your sins and you can have him come to live inside of you. And it says in this text, the Holy Spirit opened her heart to receive the good news. He said, how do you know she really received it? She begged at the end of this passage, it says here, if I really have become a person of faith, if I really have become a person that's believed, then please come and stay in my house. When she and the members of her household, notice her witness to the rest of her household, were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house, and she persuaded us. Just like the Holy Spirit opened Lydia's heart and he opened the pathway for Paul to go to Philippi, the Lord wants to work in some of our hearts Lord Jesus, it was impossible for the Apostle Paul to open Lydia's heart. I'd ask you, Lord, as we close this service, that you would help us to realize that none of us can open hearts, can provide money, can do things on our own strength. And I just ask you that we'll live in the book of Acts, that we won't just study it, but help us to live in it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one that gives us visions of those that he wants us to reach. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to see the hearts of some Lydia's that we're going to meet this week to open their hearts and receive the gospel. Lord Jesus, I just pray that there be a powerful wind of your spirit 
that begins to blow on even more powerfully than he's ever blown. And help us to begin to see a commitment to prayer, commitment to leaning upon the Spirit, humility and confession of sin, but a great excitement for what your Holy Spirit's doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.